Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, we're starting a new sermon series as we continue with Impact Louisville. Uh, For this Lenten season, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and talking about the greatest impact ever. And that was what Jesus had when he came into this world. And we're going to be looking at that initial coming of Jesus into the world, the invasion that God basically had of planet Earth. Take out your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Now, most history books will tell you that the greatest invasion ever took place on June 6th, 1944. Anybody know what that was? D-Day, 150,000 Allied troops landed on the beach at Normandy uh, in the single greatest invasion uh, in human history, it's often called, uh, trying to liberate Europe uh, from the Germans and the Axis. But no matter what the history books may tell you, that was not the greatest invasion that ever took place. Because the greatest invasion that ever took place happened about 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into this world. We're going to be over in John chapter 3 this morning. And just a little background as we get started. At this point, Jesus has already become a very popular teacher. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody's talking about him. They've heard about the healings that he's done. Unbelievable. Uh, They've listened to the words. He's not talking like any other preachers uh, ever spoken before. And so Jesus is becoming more and more popular. But along with popularity, there always comes a few people that don't like you. And interesting enough, the people that don't like Jesus are the religious leaders. Uh, And the main groups, one are the Pharisees, and the Pharisees being uh, lay people, very conservative, very dedicated. And the uh, Sadducees, who were kind of like the ruling class. And uh, they were both together in a group in Jerusalem called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a group of about 70 people that ran the city of Jerusalem in all the civil matters. Rome had ultimate authority, but they kind of ran the city uh, from that perspective. And none of them liked Jesus. So let's now look over to John chapter 3 and let's see what we can about this invasion of planet Earth. And the first thing we see is this. I'm sorry you cannot do it on your own. Now, since the beginning of time, people have thought that they could do it on their own. They could get through life on their own. They could save themselves. They could be good people. They could live the kind of life they wanted. And we've tried to live on our own without God involved in the mix since Adam and Eve. The very first sin of Adam and Eve was that pride and that selfishness of wanting to do it their way and not wanting to do it, do it God's way. And ever since sin entered into the world with Adam and Eve, things have had a downward spiral since then as we've become more and more of a sinful world. Until by the time of Noah, God was ready to destroy the entire world because it had gotten so sinful and so far away from what he had originally planned and set forward. And really human history became from that point on God trying to call people back to him and redeem them from this curse of sin uh, that they had. And so that's kind of the setup now as we look into John chapter 3. And the first thing we see is this. Human effort cannot bring you into a right relationship with God. Human effort cannot bring you into a right relationship with God. Look at chapter 3 verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
a member of the Jewish ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one can perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. So in verse 1, we're told this guy by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus. We're told certain things about him. Number one, he's a Pharisee. So he's a, he's a part of that, of that very dedicated, very conservative uh, group that, that, that trusts God with all of their heart, but they don't like Jesus. Not only that, we're told he's a member of the ruling council in Jerusalem, that's Sanhedrin, uh, that doesn't like Jesus as well. And so we're told he comes to Jesus at night. Now, I've read a lot of commentaries, and in the commentaries, they said, I wonder what it means that he came to Jesus by night. Uh, and then they try to dissect the word night and all this kind of stuff. He came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody to know about it. Okay, it's, it's about as simple as it can be. You know, it's not, it's not any big theological thing here like they're making it. Nobody in his groups liked Jesus. He didn't want to be seen with Jesus, so he came at night. And when he comes to Jesus, he says some interesting things to him. He says, well, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've seen you perform miracles. I've heard your words. And as a great scholar, I've deduced something. And what I've deduced is this. A man couldn't do these things. You're doing these things through the power of God. Now, what he expected was that Jesus was going to brag on him. Oh, man, you're smart. Look how you figured that out. You really are a Pharisee, man. You are, you are really good. But instead, Jesus answers him very curtly in verse 3 and says, You think you've got it figured out? Let me tell you something. Unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. So right there at the very beginning, what we find out is human effort cannot bring you into a right relationship with God. Here's Nicodemus. Thinks he's got it all figured out. He sees it so clearly. He's got it there. Okay, you know what, Jesus? Uh, you're a great prophet. And Jesus saying, you know, you don't have it quite figured out the way that you think you do. You have to be born again. Still today, we try to approach God and get God's approval by being good. If I, if I can just clean myself up, if I can fight my sins, if I can do enough to make God proud of me. So we're always trying to fight this battle against our sins. We're always trying to overcome something that's in our lives. And our whole life is filled with that, that roller coaster of guilt and shame and pride where we're going up and down all the time. And what we end up finding is we're just sinful people and none of us are ever going to be perfect. And so if you're trying to approach a perfect God by being good and the way that you're going to be in relationship with God is that you're going to become a good person, it's not going to work. And then if you try to approach God by knowing all the right things, well, I've got the right theology. All these other people are wrong. I'm right. I know what the Bible says. I know it's true. And you think you're going to get into a right relationship with God by believing all the right things. It's not going to work. You're not perfect. You don't understand everything in the Bible. Uh, you know, and, and there's probably things you believe for this year. You didn't believe last year, you know, as, as we struggle with God. Paul, who probably knew a little bit more about God than you do, writes in 1 Corinthians 13, when it comes to the things of God, it's like I'm looking through a glass darkly. So don't think that you're going to ever approach God in a right relationship by knowing all the things about God. So human effort ends up being futile. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus here. All of your great ideas, all of your great thoughts, uh, all of your goodness isn't going to make you right with God. Interesting thing happening right now in Massapequa, New York. Anybody know where that is? 
It's in New York. Come on, people. It's a, anyway, in uh, Massapequa, there's a guy who the last two years has built a snowman that's like 14 feet tall. I've got a picture of that snowman right here. And uh, so he wants this snowman to last as long as it can. So he's got a, a page up where he's taking donations to make the snowman survive. Did the same thing last year. He's gotten thousands of dollars in to save the snowman. So they do unbelievable things. Like here, this next picture, it was raining. And they're, they're putting rain caps on him and tarps. And, and they're bringing in new snow packs. They're doing everything they can to make this snowman last. People are giving thousands of dollars to make the snowman last as long as it can. Last year, he did the same thing. The snowman lasted till April the 4th till it was completely melted away. Thousands of dollars, a lot of effort, doing everything you can, and it still melts away to nothing by the 1st of April. That's what our human efforts are like. We give it everything we've got. We think we're going to please God. We think we're going to get closer to God by being good. And yet none of those things are going to get us where we want to be. Human effort will not bring you into a right relationship with God. And that brings us to the next thing that we see. The only way to be saved, Jesus said, is to be born again. Look back to verse 3. So Nicodemus comes and says, I've got it all figured out. I've, I've deduced it. I'm being a good person. You're a great prophet. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And when he says that, Nicodemus is confused. Uh, He's trying to figure this out in his head. And he says, well, how can I be born again? I'm a little too big at this age to get back in my mama's belly, you know. So that's not going to work, you know. It would be painful for both of us, you know. I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, how's that going to take place? And then Jesus goes on in verses 5 through 8. And he tells him basically this. Look, you were born naturally one time and now you got to be born spiritually. Look at verse five, verse five. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, think about this for a second. When you were born naturally, did you have anything to do with it? No. You had nothing to do with it at all. Your mom and dad got together one night, did the wild thing, and and a few months later, you popped out. You know, you had nothing to do with it at all. Okay? And so what he's saying is this. Okay, you had a natural birth that you had nothing to do with. Guess what? There's going to be a spiritual birth that you have to have, but you can't have anything. You're not going to be the one doing it. You're not going to get to God by being good. You're not going to get to God by knowing enough. This spiritual birth is going to be the work of God apart from your goodness and effort, just as your natural birth was the work of your parents and you had nothing to do with it either. You were born because your parents got together. You're going to be reborn because of what God is going to do. It's not something you can do on your own. He goes on in verse 14 and says something really interesting. Just as Moses lifted up in the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. Now he's talking about numbers 21. What happens in Numbers 21 is that uh, the people have rebelled against God. They're grumbling and poisonous snakes show up in the camp and start biting people. And the people plead to Moses. People are dying. Do something. Moses gets a bronze serpent, puts it on a, on a, on a post, holds it up. And anyone that looks at it is saved. 
And so the point is this, just as the people could not save themselves from the poisonous snake bites, but had to look to God, you cannot be spiritually born again. You have to look to God. Only God can cause that to happen in your life. Doing it on your own, you are stuck. You will never get any further. I'm trying to be good, but there will never be a point of perfection. You will never get where you need to be by being good or smart enough. You were stuck. What's it mean to be stuck in this kind of a situation? Here's an example of what it means to be stuck in this kind of a situation. Can't get out of it. You're stuck. Just to prove that's the dumbest dog of all time. Here's another example uh, of what's being done here. So you're stuck. There's nothing you can do, even with another dog circling you, thinking there's an issue here. Uh, There's nothing you can do that's going to save yourself. So sorry, you can't do it on your own. That brings us to the next thing that we see. If we can't do it on our own, then what, what has to happen? And that's this. It required an invasion from God for us to be born again. It required an invasion from God for us to be born again. So God has a world that's gone crazy in sin. People that are in this sin can do nothing to save themselves. So what happens is that God invades. And it wasn't just a a, a D-Day type invasion. It was a subtle invasion. He he invaded by a baby in a manger and no one even took notice. But that baby in a manger would grow up to die on the cross for our sins and would change everything. This subtle invasion that no one even noticed when it happened. There's an interesting story in New York City this week in Washington Park. There was a man uh, who had been a professional chess player and was now in Washington Park. And basically, he was hustling all the other chess players. Uh, he would he'd get them into games. Uh, he would make bets. Uh, he would laugh at them and mock them. And he was, he was uh, hustling everybody there. Where there was a grandmaster in the area by the name of Maurice Ashley. And they said, hey, man, do you mind going down to Washington Park and playing the hustler? And he said, oh, that'd be good. I'm going to hustle the hustler. And uh, so here's a picture of Maurice Ashley and the hustler there. This is Ashley here in the, in the leather jacket. Uh, he sits down. He begins to play the guy. The, and he says things like this. I wish you could see the whole video. He says, now this horse, it moves, what, one or two up and to the side. And the guy goes, yeah, it goes like this. He said, man, you're pitiful. And he says, and he says yeah. And he goes, well, now what's this one do? And he goes, well, it goes sideways. And he goes, it goes, it goes diagonally. And he goes, yeah, he goes, so, so it can take your piece here. And he goes, oh yeah, I guess. And in like three minutes, he's, he's beat the guy, uh, there. And then he tells the guy who he is. So it was a subtle invasion that made a big difference. And that's what happened when Jesus came. So why did God make this invasion in the first place? What was the point of it? Well, God sent Jesus because of his love for us. Look down to verse 15. Verse 15. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So our sins have taken us from God, taken us from relationship with God. God wants us back in that relationship forever. And we're told, so why does he send Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why did God send Jesus? Because of love. He did it because he loved you. He did it because your sins were separating you from him. And so God came because of love. Jesus was sent because of love. For God so loved the world. Now that word world in the Greek is the word cosmos. 
God so loved the cosmos. God so loved all mankind that he sent Jesus because of that love for him. Now here people will say, but surely God doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know how bad I've been. He doesn't know some of the thoughts I've had. God wouldn't love me if he knows the things that I've done. Therefore, I've got to be good to approach God. And that throws the whole thing out of balance. No, no, you can never be good enough to approach God. Jesus came because none of us can be good enough to approach God. It's only through the work of Jesus that any of us are going to be forgiven and are going to be saved. And God did it out of love for God so loved us, for God so loved the world that Jesus came into this world. Second Peter 3, 9 says this, God doesn't want anyone to perish but for all to be saved. And so that was the whole point of Jesus coming that all of us may be saved. He goes on first John four ten. This is love. Not that we loved God, that he loved us and sent Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So it was all about love because of God's love for you. Well, surely after all my sins, he couldn't love me. So I've got to do it on my own. Nope. The only reason Jesus came is that Jesus sacrifice is useless. If you've got to do it on your own, Jesus came because you can't do it on your own. And because God loves you so much, he was willing to give all in Japan. There was an interesting story. Uh, a, a man and his wife, the wife had gone blind and, uh, she had become very, uh, upset. Of course, uh, trying to deal with that, refused to go outside, refused to be around people. For the last two years, the man has done nothing but work in a flower garden for his wife. And now he's taking his wife out into that flower garden for two years. And she can smell all of the flowers out there. She's going outside again. But not only that, over 7,000 people a day are coming to see this flower garden. I want to show you, this is the couple uh, sitting right there. One of the first times she'd been outside in two years. And then the next picture of the flower garden that he's planted for her there. He was asked, why would you go to all of this effort for two years? And his answer was really, really simple. You know what he said? Because I love her. Why would God have sent Jesus to die on the cross in that way? It was one very simple reason because he loves you. And that brings us to the next thing that we see. The cross of Jesus forgives us of our sins and brings us into an eternal relationship with God. Look back to verse 16 again. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came so that your sins would not cause you to perish away from God, but that you would have eternal life with him. Jesus died on the cross, taking your sins upon him that you might be forgiven. That's the only way any of us are saved. We're not in this room because we're good people or we're better than anybody else. We're in this room because we're forgiven people when we didn't deserve it. And that's what we need to be showing to the world. Too many times Christians act like better than thou art and and like we, we know more and we're better than everybody else. We're not. We're just forgiven people. That, that, that God has changed and brought into a relationship with him. And we should want everyone to have that same kind of forgiveness because that's what Jesus did for us, making the ultimate sacrifice. Romans 5, 8 says this, God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. Nothing we could do to save ourselves. What he did saved us. In British Columbia this week at a ski resort, there was a young boy who was going up on the ski lift, was messing around, and he fell off the ski lift and was able to just hold on to the very bottom. Got a picture of him here uh, holding on. Uh, so what happened was the guy running the ski lift, teenage boy, stops the ski lift, grabs the next people in line. They pull a tarp off of one of the buildings, run over, hold it down, and tell the kid, just let go and drop. Now, do you think the kid immediately lets go and drops? No. He's got to be coaxed down. You can trust us. You're going to fall into the tarp. It's going to be okay. And he's going, I'm not real sure about this. And they're going, you've got to trust and let go. So eventually the kid let go, fell onto the tarp, and was completely okay. What would have happened if he hadn't trusted the tarp and fell without it? He'd have been hurt seriously or killed. But when he trusted and let go, he was saved. That's how we are with God. We have to say, I can't do it on my own. I've got to trust him and let go. Because we're always trying to do it ourselves. We're always trying to be good enough. And then we say, okay, I accept Christ. I accept amazing grace. And now I'm going to live by trying to deserve it. (coughs) It doesn't work that way. We've got to let go and we've got to trust God. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture Jesus came to save the world, not condemn it. Look at verse 17. We usually stop in verse 16. Verse 16, probably the most well-known sentence in the entire Bible. We read it and we're satisfied. But verse 17 is just as powerful. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, we often got the wrong impression of God. God's angry with me. God's going to judge me. Uh, God wants me to clean up my act. And what we don't get is Jesus didn't come to condemn us. God isn't up there looking to get us. He's up there looking to save us, to restore us, to make us the best that we can be, to forgive us when we don't deserve forgiveness. He didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. He sent Jesus that the world might be saved Through what Jesus would do. Not through what we're doing. Through what he would do, verse 17 said. Through dying on the cross for us. That's why Jesus came. Not to condemn us. To save us. There's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Happened in New York City this week. On a subway, a a very uh, large man got on the subway. Very aggressive. And began shoving people and yelling at people clearly out of control. Uh, Everybody was intimidated as he's threatening people and walking around the subway. And then a little old lady walks up to him and takes him by the hand. And he turns around and he stares at her aggressively. And she says these words, it's okay, baby. And she started rubbing his hand. Got a picture of it right here. The man sits down in the subway And starts to cry. And she continues to rub his hand. And say, it's okay, baby. It's going to be okay. Afterwards, there was a news reporter there that actually took this picture. And he asked the lady, what caused you to approach that man? And she said, I'm a grandmother. And he's just a boy. 
that needed to know somebody loved him. Have you ever wondered why God sent Jesus into this world? Because despite all of your sin, all of your hardness, all of your mistakes, you're his child. And you need to know he loves you. And that's why Jesus came. Our praise choir is going to be coming up at this time. And as they come, I want you to think about this. In your life, there's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. It's what Jesus is doing. And when you appreciate what Jesus has done, it's going to make everything different. The way you live, the the way you interact with people, the way you see people. Because you're not going to see people as good and bad and right and wrong. You're going to see people as forgiven and unforgiven. But all as children of God. Think about the worst person you know out there in the world. The person that gives you the most headaches that that you don't want to deal with at all. And, and, you know, that, that you're just sick of them. Guess what? God looks at them and says, you're my child. And I want to heal all that anger and hurt and all of that that's inside of you. Because I love you. When we begin to see the world that way, it changes everything. Because that's how God viewed you. And you wouldn't be here today if he hadn't forgiven you when you didn't deserve it. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your love. Help us, Lord, to learn to live each and every day as if we are loved and forgiven and restored. In Jesus' name, amen. hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.